following podcast may contain spoilers, profanity, and views or opinions that may not be representative of the author's intent of the articles discussed. We don't always take ourselves or the subject matter seriously either. Listener discretion is advised. The following is a Galactic Network podcast. Welcome to the Alien Invasion number 247, recorded on Thursday, September 6th, 2018. I'm Dave Nelson, along with Mr. Brad Ludwig. Hello, Brad. Hello. How are things in Wisconsin? <laughs> you have they to say. They are absolutely wonderful. <laughs> you have to I say it that way. Blame. Wisconsin. Uh, no, you don't. You really, really don't. <laughs> no, weather's good. You're, you're good. Everything's good. Yeah, well, it's starting to cool off a little bit, and uh, some of the leaves are starting to turn a little crimson, so fall is coming. All right, so on this episode, we're going to be running down our top four favorite alien superheroes. This is, again, one of our like different types of episodes. Last time we did the movie review, and this time we're doing top four. Next time, we'll do our old school standard episode and then we'll come back what? around again yeah yeah we're, we're switching it up brad Ooh, nice so did you have fun putting together your list of top four favorite alien superheroes uh define fun no it was it was good it, it it made me really kind of think about kind of a it's like a subgenre. yeah no in the genre you know what i'm saying I, I did a lot of research because I, I had a couple in mind, but then I struggled with the last two. Yeah, I so, can see that. And, and ours are very different. So I'm, I'm glad that we we came up with four different distinct ones, each of us. So yes, let's just jump into this here. And you can start with your number four. My number four is a hero that has kind of come to the four. And uh, actually, there's been a little controversy lately uh, with the actor who portrays this character. Uh, and that hero is Drax the Destroyer. Oh, yeah. He's played by the wrestler in the, in yes, the movies. Dave Bautista. Yeah, yeah. Drax was like a menacing green alien character who was big and buff, but he had like a purple like hooded cape thing. <laughs> In the in the comic books, right? In the comic in the books, comics, okay. Yes, and he first appeared in uh, Iron Man number fifty-five. It would have been in nineteen seventy-three. Oh, he's he's been around for a while. Yeah, he has been, and he was created by uh, an artist slash writer named Jim Starlin, and he. He's responsible for Drax, for Thanos, for Moondragon, for a number of different characters that are kind of the cosmic portion of the Marvel Universe. And Drax really was kind of a, gosh, I want to say he was kind of like a more sinister for the most part. And... Just basically from his looks. I mean, as a kid, when I got 
I got like some back issues that my my grandmother like went to a a garage sale and got a whole bunch of these these older comics that I read and reread and reread and there was a you know she got me a, a big fistful and she's part of the part of the reason why I had a comic book problem for most of my life. <laughs> Blame grandma. Yeah, well, she's no longer with us, so I'm I'm, I'm I think I'm okay to say that now. <laughs> <laughs> That took a turn. Anyways, so, but the interesting thing about the Drax character is in the comics, he was a human whose spirit had been plucked out and put into a powerful, like this is kind of an alien body. And he was to be used as a champion to kind of defeat Thanos. Oh, okay. And, you know, in the comics, uh, Drax's wife and, and family were killed by Thanos. So they plucked out his spirit and put it into this body and wanted to use him because they could kind of tap into that, um, that hatred, that anger, that rage. And, um, and channel it into this champion. So he's just kind of a a really weird character and when he was first introduced he had like super strength and you know, he could take a whole lot of punches and damage and all this stuff he could fly and he could shoot energy beams from his hands that he sounds was... very powerful he's got a lot of powers going on there <laughs> he did uh, he had a lot of powers and then thankfully they kind of stripped him off of him. It, you know, what's really interesting is, and it doesn't matter what comic company it is or, you know, whatever, when somebody new comes on board to write or they select a character for a book that they want to do, they, may take liberties with the character or change, you know, insert, you know, you haven't seen this character for a period of time because this whole thing happened that's kind of happened, quote unquote, off screen. And now this character is kind of this way because they have a, a view of a narrative that they want a particular character to have, right? And Drax at one point became like dumb as a stump. And basically his, his job was to be dumb and strong. And, and that was kind of, kind of it. And that was like late eighties, early nineties. When we get into like the, um, after the big infinity war in the comics, he becomes a part of the infinity watch. They actually break up the stones and each stone is given to, a, a person, a being to, to oversee and protect. So they don't get, you know, put back onto a gauntlet again, which uh, in time ends up failing, but, and Drax got the power stone. So he was even more powerful than what he was just as, you know, uh, with his, just his normal powers of resiliency and strength. So yeah, it, I guess the main reason why I put him on my list is because of the history that I kind of have with him in getting like an old Avengers comic where 
<clears throat> he he was there. He was a part of that particular issue, and um, just kind of tracking over time what people different people have done with his character. So that's why I kind of put him on the list. And his personality and the type of character he is changed a little bit for the movies, right? I mean, it's he's he's actually funny. He's he's the straight man, you know, and I think that. Well, you, I mean, you've got Peter Quill, who's a jokester. You've got Rocket Raccoon, who's a jokester. You've got Gamora, who's doesn't necessarily like to have goofy fun. Uh, you've got Groot, who's just Groot, but then you kind of need to have the straight man to play the jokes off of. Otherwise, it's just it's not as good. So having him not and he's not stupid, he's literal, which I think that's kind of a cool way to portray that character. And I think that Dave Bautista really did a good job bringing him to life. Doesn't so. doesn't not understand sarcasm. <laughs> Is that safe to say? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Very much so. All right, so let's go to my number 4 and uh, we're going from Marvel to DC, well, eventually DC. My number 4 are the Wonder Twins. <laughs> Zan and Jaina originally uh, showed up in the new Super Friends Hour back in the 70s and 80s. And then uh, eventually they kind of morphed, morphed into the main DC comic universe. They are from, they are Exorian. But they're not just aliens from Exoria. I think that's planet name. But they're metas from that planet and they're throwbacks to an ancient race of shapeshifters. So if you're familiar with um, Super Friends, you're, you know how it works, right? They touch their hands, and they go, um, Super Twins power activate in the form. Well, Wonder Twin powers or, activate. Oh, one, form of okay. Form of an ice bucket and shape of an eagle. Because she, she could do animals, and he could do water. Basically, any form of water. Some form of water. Yeah. yeah. Boring as hell. <laughs> I, I, I was watching this, like, best of the Wonder Twins activating into different things, and every other one was like an ice boat or an ice, an ice slide. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, again with the ice. But um, <laughs> I... I I wanted to include these guys because this was a huge part of my childhood was watching Super Friends. And you know oh, you know me, boy. Brad, I wasn't really into comic books per se until like maybe the last seven years. But this is something that I watched as a kid was the Super Friends. And that's what I knew of the DC Universe was Super Friends. And uh, I have fond memories of the Wonder Twins from... Uh, getting up early on a Saturday morning and uh, yep. turning on the TV and watching uh, the Super Friends. So, <laughs> And, of course, we can't forget Gleek, their pet monkey. Oh, jeez, yeah. Did, do you know the origin of the, of, uh, of the characters? No, because they really just existed in the cartoon and never really, never really appeared in the comics. I know that before the Wonder Twins, they had, what was it? Wendy, yeah, Marvin, and their goofy dog. They ended up putting them in 
the new teen Titans, like in the early two thousands. And it was just creepy and weird. <laughs> not, not the wonder twins, but the other two, right? Yes. Okay. But that group. Okay. Um, I, I'm pretty sh- I got a feeling that they did kind of put the wonder twins and that's sort of at the point where I think I might've stopped really getting into comics or really buying comics. They've appeared in uh, Justice League, Unlimited, Teen Titans Go, and the live-action TV series Smallville. That's right. They were in Extreme Justice, which, God, that the late 90s was a horrible period in comics. Follow this Galactic Network podcast on Twitter, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us by searching for Galactic Network on all the major social networks or click on the icons at GNCast.com. Do you want to move on to uh, our number threes? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's uh, continue on the DC train with Brad's number three. Yeah, so my number three is Martian Manhunter, who is another DC Comics hero, and he is an alien from... Mars. Obviously, he's the Martian Manhunter. But at a certain point, like in his in his classic appearance in 1955, he was kind of ripped away from Mars by this scientist who was working on like teleportation, um, you know, extreme travel uh, to another place. And Martian Manhunter gets pulled to Earth and the doctor who, or the scientist that's doing this, like gets surprised and has a heart attack and dies. (laughs) (laughs) What a rough start. Uh, yeah. And so he's just kind of, you know, uh, fish out of the, out of water story. You know, he he really didn't know what to do. You know, that comic book is going for $38,000. Can you believe that? If you had a mint. Holy crap. Yeah. And, Dr. Erdell was the name of the scientist. No, I'm sorry. That That's when they, uh, that must've been a, like a post-crisis tweak that they did do it. In the original comic, the doctor has this like robot brain, this basically like an artificial intelligence sort of a thing that's attached to his teleportation system. He grabs Martian Manhunter, pulls him there, and they, you know, kind of introduce themselves to each other. <laughs> and he's like, okay, thanks. I'm going to go now. And he's like, whoa, sorry. Um, it's going to take me a while to replot that course. So you're, <laughs> so you're stuck, stuck here. Stuck here. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Oh, and he does. Yeah, he does die. Of, yeah, he, he has a weak heart. So he... <laughs> All that excitement and oh, I, I can't send you back because I'm, uh, I can't uh, the calculations, but uh, and then he dies. Poor Martian Manhunter. <laughs> and so uh, the Martians were working on some sort of interplanetary travel as well, and uh, they weren't going to be done with it right away. And uh, so he's just kind of stuck. And then he eventually becomes a his his alter ego is John Jones and he is like a police detective and he solves crimes. Now, the one thing about all heroes, especially, you know, in that time period, you know, golden silver age, they have a 
a weakness. And, you know, it's really interesting to look at the comics from that period to now. They had an external weakness in the past, but now they have internal struggles. So, I mean, that instead of having this exterior force, they have a more interior force with writing nowadays. But his back in the day was fire. Well, it still is today, but it's fire. The one thing that weakens him is fire. That's weird. Why? At one point, it was kind of explained as that there was a huge war on Mars between different races of Martians. And the the trauma of all of this, you know, his family were killed in fire and all of this. It has a basically a psychological component to it that he just he relives that trauma and he he just he he he, he gets basically like PTSD and he's in that moment and he's feeling that that fear that anxiety reliving that moment and he just can't he freezes so does does he eventually get like a superhero costume and like fights crime like he's out in the yes. open as the Martian yeah. Manhunter he eventually yeah yeah he he creates a costume which we see kind of an interesting version of it in the Supergirl TV show on CW um, but it's his original costume. Think of a naked green dude, but he's wearing like a blue stripey, not stripey is the wrong word. Like there's like crossing straps and he's wearing blue underpants and he's got like a red belt buckle. <laughs> Costumes back in the day were terrible. Yeah. There was a lot of underpants wearing on the outside. Uh, Batman, Superman, Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter eventually became a, uh, became a member of the Justice League, right? He was the head of Justice League Detroit in the 70s, where we were introduced to Vibe and Gypsy originally. Oh. Yeah. And uh, he is brought into a, like a post-crisis new version of the Justice League. And he's... He's a powerhouse, but he's also kind of, he's the conscience of the group to a certain degree. And he, the big thing that they did for him is he had like a, a love of Oreos. And that was just like a running <laughs> gag, you know, something would go horribly wrong. And then he just like hit the Oreos, <laughs> just get a, get a, get a, you know, get a package of it and just, you know, go to his room and close the door and just be by himself. I don't blame him. That's something I would do, too. <laughs> and, yeah, he's been in the Justice League a number of times in the 90s, which uh, Grant Morrison did a run during the 90s, which was one of my favorite runs of the Justice League, and he was uh, a, a big part of that. Um, and like I said, oh, the one thing that ended up happening, and I'm trying not to make this too long, is David Ogden Stiers, God rest him, he was in a failed pilot for a Justice League America TV show, and he played Martian Manhunter. What year was this? Oh, God, that would have been late 90s. Yeah, late 90s. And somewhere, no, I threw it out. I had somebody bootleg, got a bootleg of that for me. And I, I watched it, and, I, and I'm certain I, I kept it out of spite, and then eventually I threw it away because it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. 
I remembered watching this thing and shouting at the TV going, ah, what are you doing? This is terrible. And yeah, I, I was that guy. Well, anything, you know, any, any superhero comic book TV, you know, translation did not work up until like the early 2000s because they didn't have the technology to do it right. You know, part of it is the technology, but the other part of it is not being able to write a character, an interesting character-driven story that doesn't depend, you know, like on a lot of effects, you know. That's why you get a lot of the CW drama, I think, because they don't have a huge budget for, you know, effects for massive fights or whatever. But, you know, the fights themselves aren't interesting. It's the, the yeah. inter... It's the relationships between the characters and, you know, some of the deeper-seated things that they need to overcome or work through or whatever um, that really, I think once they started to focus on that opposed to, you know, making cool looking stuff from technology that wasn't quite there yet. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I'll concede that point to you. The, the more I talk about it, now, <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a big part of the problem. But I think once they learned how to work around that, um, they've been able to do it very well. All right. So do you want to move on? Is that, yes. is that cool with you? Okay. So my, yeah, num my number three is Space Ghost, another Hanna-Barbera production, because I believe the Super Friends were also Hanna-Barbera. The character debuted in 1966 in a cartoon called Space Ghost and Dino Boy. And if you get a chance, go on to YouTube, because there's a bunch of Space Ghost old, late 60s um cartoons on YouTube, and they're great. They're really great. Uh, Space Ghost is a space-bound intergalactic crime fighter. Comes from the Ghost Planet. That's not much of a stretch. Uh, he tra traverses the stars armed with his gauntlets, which give him the ability to be invisible, fly, and shoot various rays from them. Alongside his sidekicks, Jan and Jace. Yep, Jan and Jace. And they had a pet monkey. Yes. Blip. Okay, blip. <laughs> I promise you that my next two don't have a pet monkey, because so far, <laughs> number four and number three have pet monkeys. <laughs> but, okay, so, so Space Ghost uh, was big. Not Well, not really big, but uh, he debuted in the late 60s, and then he left and came back. In the form of his show that I was first introduced his his character to was Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Absolutely. Which was a um, fake talk show hosted by Space Ghost on Comedy Central. Is that right? Or the the comedy Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network. Okay. And he yes, would sir. he would interview real people on his space station or whatever. <laughs> and, and then one of the one of the villains that he fought back in the late 1960s cartoons was like his band leader, and yep, what was his name? Z that, was, that was Zorak. Zorak, okay. And actually, all of the people, the producer Moltar was a villain. Uh, uh, Brack, who was kind of the sidekick, uh, like the um, on the Johnny Carson show, you had. Ed McMahon. Oh, Clearinghouse. Ed McMahon, thank you. He was Ed McMahon to Space Ghost's Johnny Carson. Okay. So they were all, that was kind of the joke, is all three of them were just failed villains. They had nothing better to do than to, 
do this talk show with Space Ghost. And and I think I think around that time or after that time, Space Ghost went back to a serious superhero. Um and they had I think another animated show and a comic book, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Somebody did get the rights to do the comic. And he's and he came back recently in I believe a not a I think it was a team up comic with some other characters that DC put out. They they put out a bunch of Hanna Barbera um based yeah. characters in their own books. They had Johnny something, Johnny help me out. Johnny Quest? Johnny Quest, yeah. There was a Johnny Quest and he teamed up with some other characters. But then there was another one. It was Space Ghost but teaming up with some other ones. It was just uh, kind of a team-up of all these Hanna-Barbera cartoons in these books. <laughs> if you like this podcast, The Alien Invasion, and would love to support us in a very simple way, we ask that you go to gncasts.com support. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com support and click on the Patreon link. Uh, now, with Patreon, we're just asking for a few dollars a month. It's not per episode. It's per month at $1, 3 and $5 levels. And each level has its own perk. Like, you can get your name mentioned on our shows, not just this show, but all of our other podcasts that are part of the Galactic Network network. You can get a whole message read and other perks, other other things that you'll get for your dollar, three dollar, five dollar a month support of the network. So again, go to gncasts.com slash support. Click on that Patreon link. And I believe we also have a link to our Amazon affiliate link on that page as well. So if you're going to be doing some shopping on Amazon, uh, click that link and support us that way as well. gncasts.com slash support. And we thank you. Let's move on to uh, number two. Brad, again, you start. My number two is a hero that uh, you only see in the comics originally for a short period of time. And that character's name is Abin Sur. And uh, Abin Sur is the is the Green Lantern who held the ring that Hal Jordan gets. Oh, that's where it's, that's the, that's why that name sounds familiar. Okay. Yes. Now, for those of you who aren't um, in the know about uh, the Green Lanterns, basically they're a, um, like a galactic space force for all intents and purposes. And they have this green, uh, this ring that, Basically, you use your imagination and your willpower and you can summon things from energy that is kind of focused through the ring. So, you know, um, like you could make a big fly swatter and, you know, swat something out of the way or something like that. It's it's limited only to the imagination and the strength of will of the possessor of the ring. But the ring ends up choosing people based on their character it's certain criteria the care yeah the content of their character the their strength of will um 
and their uh, you know personal sense of honor. And it will seek somebody out. But in the Silver Age, when he first appeared in, oh, God, 63? No, no, 1959. Okay. That was kind of close-ish. Four years <laughs> off. Four years. Yeah. But, um, you know, the character Green Lantern had appeared before in the Golden Age, and Alan Scott was the first Green Lantern in order to distinguish this silver age version, the sixties from the one from the forties, they changed where the power came from. So in the golden age, this, uh, Alan Scott found a green meteorite and yeah, this meteor fell to earth and a voice in the flame predicted that it would act three times once to bring death, once to bring life and once to bring power. So there, a lamp maker crafted the green metal into a lamp and uh, that person is killed. So there's the death. Uh, in modern times, so this happened a long time in ancient, you know, ancient China. Of course, um, the 40s was really big on um, things coming from Asia uh, being mysterious and all that. <sighs> <laughs> Racist. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a person who... Uh, had some mental, some mental issues. He got a hold of this this lantern. The green flame restored his sanity and gave him a new life. So in 1940, it filled the first two thirds of its prophecy. The lantern, fashioned from the meteor, fell in the hands of Alan Scott. There we go. A young railroad engineer. There we go. That's what he was. He's on a train. A rail. The, the bridge collapses. That the train is on, and this flame instructs Alan Scott how to fashion a ring from its metal, and that gave him his powers. And then he put on this costume that's red and green and blue and all the primary colors, uh, which were standard for superheroes of the day. And uh, that's how it fulfilled the third part of its prophecy. So anyways, they kept portions of that. So there was an alien intelligence essentially with the ring. An alien gives the ring to Hal Jordan. And that alien is Abin Sur. And Abin Sur is one of the greatest Green Lanterns to have ever worn the ring. He is widely revered and uh, Hal Jordan is a, a screw-up test pilot <laughs> who has no self-control. He's very strong-willed. He's very creative, but he lacks kind of that self-control and he's deemed a bit of a hothead. But anyways, with Abin Sur, Abin Sur got his ring in the 1860s in our time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he helped, you know, put down you know, uprisings and all of these things, but you, know, you find out later on that he wasn't entirely, um, he made some mistakes and those mistakes uh, do kind of end up biting some folks in the butt. But the one interesting thing about Abin Sur, if you see his original appearance, or he was designed after Yul Brenner. <laughs> Weird. So his look, and he, you know, he's got, He's got the bald head and he's, you know, kind of a, a, a strong but kind of wiry looking kind of a, a guy. 
and yeah, he he's designed after after Yule Brenner. So, All right, there you go. All right, let's move on to. Uh... Let's see. Hang on one second. Num- my number two, which is Rom. And not Rom from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Nope. Rom, the Space Knight. The Space Knight? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, he first appeared in 1979 and was published until February 1986. First published to help promote a toy of the same name. The toy failed but the comic book lived on so the the comic book character outlived the toy that it was originally uh produced for because it was produced the comic book was made to bring a backstory to this this toy yep and i actually had one really Hmm. yes i did cool Where, where what happened to it much like anything else, it broke and I threw it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kids. All right. Happened to me plenty of times. So <laughs> his backstory is basically he comes from this this planet called uh, Galador, and they're threatened by this alien race called the Dire Wraiths. And uh, the ruler asks for soldiers who will be transformed into cyborgs and he's promised that um he promises them that once they uh, defeat their enemy and they're done they can have their body parts back again basically they get to get their bodies put back together and no longer be a cyborg some way um rom gets sent to earth or gets ends up on earth and he continues to fight the wraiths on Earth, and other characters as well. To be honest with you, I've never actually read or seen Rom in the comics or on, I guess, really the only place he's been has been the comics. Have you ever read any of the the Rom the Space Knight? uh... I've read a little bit, but my boss, like, bought, like, the graphic novels so he could read it (laughs) in its entirety. Wow. Um. You know, and there it's interesting because they introduced the dire wraiths for Rom, and there's a period in time, like in the mid to late 80s, where the X Men are fighting the dire wraiths. So the dire wraiths end up kind of spilling out into the rest of the Marvel Universe. Well, they sound like some pretty evil people or some pretty evil uh, characters. So I can understand why they would want to use them in other um, other stories. And it's a, another one of those whole cosmic characters, right? It, it seems to be always things from the cosmos, things from space, spill onto the Earth. Earth yeah. is like this dumping ground for all the crap in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, and and we'll we'll actually get into that with my with my final pick. All right. Please subscribe to this Galactic Network podcast by going gncast.com slash subscribe. Or search iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere podcasts are offered. We'll move on to our number ones. Very exciting, Brad. So, your number one is... My number one is Captain Marvel. Yay! Now, some people are wondering, well, Billy Batson wasn't a an alien. And then other people might be going, wait a second... 
Carol Danvers isn't Carol an Danvers alien. Carol Danvers yeah. isn't an alien. And then no. others will be like, well, Ms. Marvel, what what's her deal? <laughs> yeah, so Captain Marvel is kind of an interesting story. He first appears in 1967, and this is important because this is the Silver Age. At a certain point, DC Comics, and this would be in the early 50s, okay, DC Comics in the early 50s bought Fawcett Comics because they wanted to do away with the Captain Marvel Shazam character because it was too close to Superman for their liking. So they bought the rights to that. But then they shelve it because they don't want to put out the character, obviously, because they bought the company, so they didn't have to deal with that Superman issue. So they bury it. Along comes Marvel Comics... And in 1967, they put out a comic book character called Captain Marvel and put the letters bright and bold on the cover. And DC Comics goes, whoa, 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 whoa. We bought a character. Uh, it's called Captain Marvel. That was the name of the comic. You can't do that. And this landmark case starts. And the ruling is... Even if you possess something, if you don't utilize it, if you don't put it out there, that trademark will lapse. So that's why you'll see, like in comics, you have like a huge crossover and like these characters you might not have seen in, in quite some time will come to the fore and, you know, they'll make an appearance or they'll do like a, a mini series of like, you know, four to six issues or whatever to starring those characters so that they can keep those rights. And that's why you have some of that going on. Anyways, so 1967, they create this character, Captain Marvel. He is an alien. He is a Kree. And we're going to be seeing that in the movie. There's a race, and we've seen some of that actually in S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm -hmm. The Kree are blue-skinned aliens, and they are warlike. <laughs> they are not pleasant people. And the Kree want to find out, in the comic, 1967, they want to find out if Earth is a threat to the Kree Empire. So they send, basically, this spy, uh, and his name is Marvell, M-A-R-V hyphen v-e-l-l -L. and he is wearing this goofy like there's a fin on the top of his head green outfit it's just it's ridiculous and actually gene colon who is one of the people that's credited to creating him said it's like the stupidest looking character he's like i didn't even want my name on it <laughs> <laughs> for all intents and purposes he thought it was complete and utter crap anyway so uh, he ends up becoming one of the more beloved heroes of, uh, of the comic book uh, in the Marvel Universe. Um, he is the he, he ends up basically defying his race and becomes an Earth based hero. Um, you probably just said, well, you said he's blue skinned. Uh, I, I, part of his, somehow he became the Cree look like us as humans, but they're blue skinned. At some point he somehow, his skin just looks like our skin. It's the so. yellow sun. 
I, I'm, that's, I, that's my answer. It's something. Uh, anyways, Captain Marvel had a lot of different things that went, that they tied to him. At one point in time, he was tied with Rick Jones. Rick Jones, you might remember from Hulk fame. And um, kind of like when they had, Thor had an alter ego, and that was Dr. Donald Blake. And uh, Dr. Donald Blake, or he would be in this weakened body. He had a, Dr. Donald Blake had a, an injured leg and he walked with a cane. And he was kind of stuck in that form and eventually he was able to kind of reclaim his right as Thor, but then he had this alter ego that he would assume. That kind of happened with Captain Marvel, and he had these things called negabands, which gave him kind of his cosmic power. They were like these energized wristbands that he could, you know, he could uh, shoot energy beams from uh, and all this stuff. But at a certain point, Rick Jones was tied with him so that when the bands were clicked together, like wrist to wrist, they would swap places. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so if Rick Jones was on Earth, that meant that Captain Marvel was stuck somewhere in the void, but he didn't have the cosmic bands with him. The bands stayed on the person that was on Earth. So they did that for quite some time. But one of the most profound things that they did with Captain Marvel and the reason why he is number one on my list is they did a trade. It was like the one of the one of the first trade publications that they did like a larger print graphic novel before they were called graphic novels really or no it was called a graphic novel i think it was one of the first ones um and it was called the death of captain marvel and basically he saved an alien race from extinction but he gets exposed to this nerve toxin and he gets cancer and it's the first time that we actually see at least a Marvel hero deal with sickness and death. And he is one of, he's one of the original characters that I think died and stayed dead. It was profound. This, this, uh, this shocked so many people. This story was lauded as being one well-written to kind of proved the fact that you could create something called a graphic novel and people would buy it. Um, but this character died and stayed dead. And, <laughs> and has he and, come back at all? You know, they've done flashbacks. I think that they, they probably, and I'm, I, for some reason I have something in my head that he may have been like a spirit, you know, come back as a ghost or some kind of spirit or guided somebody who may have, you know, had a near-death experience or something like that. It's sticking in my head for some reason. Um, but yeah, Captain, the original Captain Marvel, I'm sorry, Marvel's Captain Marvel, uh, is dead and continues to be so. Okay, so I would ask you to tell me how Captain Marvel, uh, the original, and Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel are connected, but I have 15% battery on my computer. And for some <laughs> okay. reason... So we're going to wrap this up. Yeah, and for quick. some reason, the 
plug in is the charger's not working. So um, oh, let me do my number one. My number one is Rocket Raccoon. Uh, this is funny because that's the second Guardians character that has been on our list, on our uh, list of top four. The character first appeared summer of 1976. He's an intelligent, anthropomorphic. <laughs> anthropomorphic. <laughs> yes, that word, raccoon. He's an expert marksman and master ta- tactician. He began um, not in the Guardians. He started out as just a character in the comics, I believe. At least according to my research, am I right? Do you know his backstory? Actually, no. That was one series I never really. Okay. I never really followed Rocket. I mean, he was he he was interesting, but I was just never interested enough to really dig into that character. Okay, so he originally comes from the planet Half World, which was an abandoned colony for mentally ill. Uh, where the animal companions were genetically manipulated to grant them human-level intelligence and bipedal body construction um, for many to become caretakers of the inmates. So uh, Rocket was Half-World's chief law officer who protected the colony against various threats. Uh, Rocket became a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy chosen to accompany Star-Lord on his mission to stop a phalanx infiltration of the Kree homeworld. Uh, Later, when the team almost disbands and Star-Lord disappears, sent into the negative zone by Ronan, damn him, Ronan, uh, (laughs) Rocket keeps the team alive, brings in Groot as a member. As they had become fast, uh, firm friends, Rocket takes over as leader of the Guardians, and they rescue Peter, Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, and save Earth from an alien invasion. Uh, When the Guardians of the Galaxy title was relaunched in 2013, Rocket was again a member of the team. In the uh, first issue of Secret Wars, the Guardians of the Galaxy take part in the incursion between Earth-616 and Earth-1610, in which Rocket and Groot are killed by the Children of Tomorrow. And, of course, we all know him from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie uh, movies. So, there you go. I, I chose him as my number one because... Uh, he's an awesome character. He's funny. He's uh, sarcastic. He's a badass with weapons. Um, <laughs> he doesn't care, and he's got Groot as his buddy. So it's he's cute, but then again, he's not cute, right? He's he's a little bit yeah. of both, kind of. Yeah, he's uh, kind of an anti-hero to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. I think I think you're right. I think he is sort of an anti-hero. Like he goes along with Peter Quill and the rest of the Guardians on these things, but he's very reluctant to help out. It seems. Yes. All right. So that's my number one uh, to review. Let's run down the list one more time. Number fours were, um, but to do Drax the Destroyer and the Wonder Twins. Number threes, Martian Manhunter and Space Ghost. Number twos, uh, Abinsur and Rom, the Space Knight, and our number ones, Captain Marvel, Marvel, and uh, Rocket Raccoon. So uh, we'll be doing another top four list here soon, but next week we're back at one of the old school episodes. We'll be running down the news of the week, uh, the um, sighting, and our picks and warnings. So join us 
Next time, before we get out of here, I want to thank a few people, including Monkey Warhol, for providing our intro music, the song called Alien Syndrome. You can find out more about him at uh, monkeywarhol.bandcamp.com. Also, Retward von Dernberg, a composer from Germany for our closing song called Be Water. Learn more about him and his music at thecaravel.net, T-H-E-C-A-R-A-V-E-L.net. Can you tell I'm hurrying because my battery's running low? And... Also, thanks to Ben Olson for recording our disclaimer audio at the start of this episode. His thanks, we- Ben. His website is benolson.com. All right, Brad, uh, can't wait for next week's episode. And until then, have a great week, man. You too. <laughs> Bye. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to gncast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.